You got two little girls, man, that love you to death. You know that, don't you? <laughs> they were telling me this morning, you know, that they, they love their daddy. You know, we have, uh, also have with us tonight uh, Bill and Elaine, uh, Sean's uh, parents. Well, that's your dad, but I th- isn't that your older sister there, Sean? Yeah. Uh, Bill and Elaine are with us down from uh, Philadelphia, and many of you have been praying for, uh, well, we've been praying for Sean, but we've also been praying for Sean's brother, uh, Stephen. And Stephen, too, has undergone uh, quite a battle. Uh, for the last uh, couple of years now, I guess. Last six months, he's been in the ICU for six months, I understand. And, and he's been going through quite a battle. And uh, Stephen's wife, his name is Tiffany, correct? And, and they have some children. And I thought, uh, since you good folks were with us tonight, that we would, uh, that we would just have a, a special word of prayer for Stephen tonight. Would that be okay? Great. Father, again, thank you so much for the Davies. And we thank you, Lord, for uh, Sean and Amy and all that they mean to our church. But I know that that's only one half of the family, that, that uh, Bill and Elaine have another child that they love dearly and, and his wife. And, and we want to lift up Stephen to you tonight, Lord. We just pray that you would uh, continue your work in his life. Lord, we even pray that you would work a miracle of healing in his body. And Lord, that when they return, that there would just be uh, an amazing uh, progress that's been made. We thank you for the progress that's already been made. But Lord, we just believe that, that you have good things for Stephen. And we just pray that, that, uh, that he has work to do before he, before he uh, goes to his heavenly home. And so we just pray. We pray for him and we pray for uh, his healing. We pray for Bill and Elaine and Tiffany and the kids. We pray that you would sustain them and strengthen them and help them, Lord. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I got my ticket to the uh, Good Friday walkthrough. Have you gotten your ticket to the Good Friday walkthrough? You know, a big, big deal here at Calvary Chapel. It's coming up. Guess when it's going to be? On Good Friday. Got the Good Friday walkthrough. It's going to actually be on the Thursday and Friday before Easter. And we encourage you to get your tickets and... Uh, make sure you have a spot reserved and, and come to the Good Friday Walk. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful evening. The kids are going to be reenacting many of the scenes from the last week of Jesus' life. And, and you can tell who, uh, who's going to be playing uh, Jesus. Uh, why don't we have the, those that are playing Jesus stand up? Look at, look, back, at the, back at the sound booth, too. Do you notice anything about those three gentlemen that's distinctive? Charles has got a head start on you, Larry, but you look like you could catch up in a hurry. Clint, Clint is uh, shaping up. That's shaping up, Clint. Well, now you, now you know who's going to be playing those roles in the Good Friday walkthrough. Also, uh, just, just uh, a note, uh, this time of the year, we do the deacon and deaconess selections. And, and this is amazing how this always works out. We trust the congregation. You know, in Acts chapter 6, they said, Choose out from among you uh, men full of the Holy Spirit and of good report to take care of these, these ministries within the church. And that's what we've always done. We've just said to the congregation, Choose out from among you uh, those that you see are servants and that uh, can serve in this capacity. And you know, uh, never fails. 
you guys always make the right choices. But what has concerned me this year is that we've only got just a small little stack of, uh, of participation this year. And so I don't know if you've just neglected it or, or maybe you're mad at the deacons. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> maybe you are. Uh, we can deal with that later. But, but if you would, if you would get that piece of paper and, and jot down those names that you see uh, are serving in that capacity and put it in the offering box. We use this and, and, and rely on your input. So if you'll do this for us, you have one more week tonight and then one more Sunday uh, before the, the final decisions are made. So by all means, if you do that, that'd be great. Well, we're in Matthew tonight, Matthew chapter 9, as we continue our Through the Bible study. And, and once again, thank you so much for all of the birthday gifts and cards and well wishes that you've poured out on me the last few, uh, few weeks. I think I'm going to turn 50 again if I'm going to get all this attention. And I just thank you so very much for it. Again, Father, we just pray you'll bless tonight's Bible study as we move through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, did you hear about the blind guy? He, he walked into the pharmacy with his CNI dog. And when he walked in, he picks up the dog by his hind legs and he starts swinging him around like this over his head. Well, immediately the pharmacist runs out and he says, man, what are you doing? And that's when the blind guy looks at him and says, hey, I'm just looking around. Well, in Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 27, we run into two blind men who are looking for Jesus. Verse 27, when Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, son of David. Have mercy on us. These two men were blind physically, but spiritually their eyes were wide open. For they knew who it was that they were dealing with and what it was that they wanted. Notice they called Jesus Son of David. That was another name for the Messiah of Israel. And they plead for mercy, not justice. Notice they aren't trying to barter their good works for God's blessing. Oh no, they realize that their only hope is for Jesus to have mercy. While I'm on these blind jokes, I've got one more. It reminds me of the blind guy who goes to the ball game. And he yells out to his buddy, he says, Hey, you want to hear a blonde joke? His friend leans over and he whispers to him, he says, Man, you need to know that there are three 250-pound blonde ex-football players sitting right behind you. And the two women in front of you are black belts in karate, and they're both blonde. Do you still want to tell that blonde joke? And the blind guy looks at him and says, Well, no, not really, not if i got to explain it five times. <laughs> well... Here's a blind man in need of mercy. Did you know that our relationship with God is all about mercy? These blind men saw it. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, yes, Lord. Here is a wonderful declaration of faith. Have you... Have you expressed your faith in this way today? Have you said, yes, Lord? 
If you'll just say, yes, Lord, tonight. If you'll say, yes, Lord, to Jesus. Your eyes, too, will be open. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened. Once they believed, Jesus gave them their sight. Spurgeon put it, he touched them with his hand, but they must also touch him with their faith. And the same is true for us spiritually. Our spiritual darkness to God's truth and God's love is the result of our unbelief, not vice versa. We need to trust God, and when we do, our blind eyes too will be opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. This is what Jesus told the leper back in chapter 8. He tries to muzzle a miracle. You see, the miraculous can produce mass hysteria. Jesus didn't want the crowd to turn into a mob and then violate his intentions. Isn't it amazing that people will chase a miracle even if they don't know where it leads? Just because it's a miracle. Just because it's something spectacular. And Jesus was afraid of the mob mentality. Grabbing hold of of his ministry and steering it in a direction that he didn't want. This was an attempt here at crowd control. Yet in verse 31 we're told, But when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all that country. I guess when Jesus opens your eyes, you just got to tell somebody. As they went out, behold, they brought to him a man, mute and demon-possessed. Notice here, physical disease can be caused by demonic forces. Now, that's not always the case, but it can can be true. You've heard the expression, the cat's got his tongue. Here, a demon had his tongue. Usually, disease is caused by germs or by bacteria or by viruses or by congenital defects. But in this case, this man's speech impediment was the result of a demon. And the great physician had the right diagnosis. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke. And the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never seen like this in Israel. The many and the mighty of these miracles overwhelmed the people who witnessed them. The power of Jesus was unprecedented. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the ruler of the demons. This is the first time that the Jews are going to try to discredit the miracles of Jesus as the work of the devil. But it will not be the last time. As a matter of fact, Jesus will address this argument in chapter 12. We'll get more into it then. Verse 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Here's an entry out of Jesus' outlook. (laughs) He was going throughout all the cities and villages. Jesus was a very busy man. He was tirelessly on the move. And he was healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Notice this. He He healed every sickness and every disease. No disease was beyond his ability to heal. No person left his presence disappointed. In 1994, four winners of the Wisconsin State Lottery bought their ticket in the same town. All four winning tickets were purchased on Main Street in the tiny northeastern town of Fond du Lac. 
those four winning tickets totaled $256 million. Well, guess what happened the next year on Main Street in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin? You guessed it. A huge surge of business invaded the town. People were driving from all over the state of Wisconsin to buy a lotto ticket on Main Street. I suppose this was the kind of atmosphere surrounding Jesus. Folks all over Galilee were flocking to Jesus. They were seeking the big prize. Everyone, too, was leaving a winner. Verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Isn't this wonderful? Jesus wasn't put out by all of these crowds. Nor was he put off by their immaturity. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. In other words, he put himself in their shoes. He had love and he had empathy. And he wanted to help them. And then Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And this is still the accurate analysis. People today are hungry for God. Guys, opportunities abound to be a witness. The harvest is still ripe, both at home and abroad. The reason for such a slow yield is not a slim crop, but a lack of laborers. We need pickers. We need people who will see the multitudes through the eyes of Jesus. Not just folks with compassion, but people like Jesus who are moved with compassion. We need Christians in this church and in every church who have a heart for the harvest, who are willing to step out and get involved and love other people and point them to Jesus. Chapter 10 begins, And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Notice whom Jesus calls, he equips. This is still the case. He never sends us out unarmed. We are always deeded what's needed. And for this particular mission, the disciples need supernatural power to heal the sick and to deliver from demons. We need the same power. And Jesus will make that a power available to us when we need it. Now remember at the end of chapter 9, Jesus prays for people to work in the harvest. Pickers. Well, now he picks them. He chooses 12 who have been walking with him. And don't overlook this point. When Jesus has a special mission, he doesn't call in outside experts. He picks from among people who have been walking with him and spending time with him and learning from him. Here he chooses 12 men from among his followers to send them out. And note these disciples, they're listed in pairs. You know why? Because Jesus always sent them out two by two. Now the names of the 12 apostles are, for, are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter. And Andrew, his brother. That's the first pair. Then the next set of partners, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Then Philip and Bartholomew. Then Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. Then James, the son of Alphaeus. And Labaius, whose surname was Thaddeus. And then Simon, the Canaanite. And I'm sure he moaned 
Why do I have to be partnered up with Judas Iscariot? Who will also betray? Well, Simon, somebody's got to do it. Notice in verse 1, when these men are picked, Jesus calls them disciples. But when Jesus sends them out, he calls them apostles. Disciple means learner. Whereas apostle means sent out one, an emissary, an ambassador. You know, no matter how long you follow Jesus, you never stop being a disciple, do you? You're always learning, you're always growing. We're always learners. But you can be a learner and never become an apostle. There are people who learn and learn and learn and learn, but they never step out and use what they've been taught. Once there was a Spanish galleon that was adrift at sea. Another ship spotted it and boarded what they thought was a deserted boat. Once on board, though, they found a man. He was unconscious. He was dehydrated. And over the next several days, his rescuers fed him and nursed him back to health. When he revived, his lips began to move. They heard him whisper, There is another man. There is another man. Notice, the saved man's first thoughts were about the other man that was in his same predicament. And this should be the case with every single Christian. There is another man in the same boat. He lives on your street. Or he works in your office. Or you keep running into him at the grocery store. It's not enough for you to go to heaven. There is another man. Will you bring someone with you? This is why disciples need to become apostles. And of these 12 apostles, disciples, the leader of the pack, of course, was Peter. Peter the fisherman. This was the guy with the foot-shaped mouth. You remember Peter's philosophy? Ready, fire, aim. That was Peter. Three times in the gospel we see Peter's little brother, Andrew. And each time we see him, he's bringing someone to Jesus. Isn't it interesting? Matter of fact, Andrew was the one who brought Peter to Jesus. James and John, you remember their nickname? The Sons of Thunder. They were the guys with the short fuse. They had an explosive temper. They wanted to call down fire from heaven and burn up the Samaritans. Philip was the inquisitive disciple. He was not afraid to express his legitimate doubts. Bartholomew, he had another name, Nathaniel. Nathaniel was cynical by nature. He was the man who wondered out loud, can anything good come out of Nazareth, right? Matthew was a tax collector. He was a Roman collaborator, but he was viewed as a traitor by the Jews. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Labaius, whose surname was Thaddeus, are mentioned nowhere else in the scripture, but in this list. They're sort of the biblical unknowns. Simon was a zealot. He was a political radical who hated the Romans. I mean, how he and Matthew got along, who knows? He advocated violence and murder in the Jews' resistance of the Roman occupation. This was Simon the Zealot or the Canaanite. And then finally Judas. We know Judas. He's the man who will later betray Jesus. 
What an odd collection of leaders to lean on. I mean, Jesus picks these guys from all spectrums. I mean, teaming Matthew, a Roman collaborator, up with Simon, a Jewish patriot, was sort of like putting a Black Panther and a KKK member together, literally. Jesus picked fishermen. He picked common folk. There's no VIP or no rich kid in this crowd, you'll notice. You know, and speaking of odd collections, have you looked around tonight? (laughs) We, too, come from all ends of the spectrum, don't we? And we're pretty much simple folk. James, the only rich kid in the whole crowd tonight. We're all just simple folk. But Jesus wants to use us together. And here's what Jesus knows. We are stronger together than we could be apart. Well, in the next verses, Jesus gives instructions to those he picks and empowers. He teaches his disciples how to conduct ministry and what, and what to expect from the world. Here's chapter 10 in five P's. Pairs. We've already got the pairs. Priorities. Persecution. What do you do when it happens? Protection. And then passion. Verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Here are their priorities. They need to reach out to the Jews first. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1 that the gospel is to be preached first to the Jew and then to the Greek. The apostles followed that same pattern. They needed priorities. You remember the old riddle? How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, right. The same is true when it comes to winning the world for Jesus. I mean, the world around us has vast spiritual needs. You say to somebody, go out and win the world. Well, where do I start? Well, you start by eating one bite at a time. The mission can seem overwhelming. That's why we need personal vision and personal direction for what we are to do, the role that we are to play. We have to prioritize. That's why Jesus told the disciples, go to the Jews first. Verse 7. And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Preach. The Greek word translated preach is the word caruso. It's interesting, one of the all-time great opera singers was a famous tenor by the name of Enrico Caruso. Enrico Caruso could stand 15 feet from a glass and he could shatter it with his voice. Of course, I can stand 15 feet from a congregation and damage their hearing with my voice when I sing. Caruso was the name of a famous tenor. And yet, Caruso describes the quality that should be evident in our preaching and in our communication of the gospel. When we preach, when we share the gospel with others, we need to sing like Caruso, clearly and beautifully and lovingly and yet forcefully. We should share this wonderful message that we've been given to share. But Jesus tells the twelve disciples in verse 8, Heal the sick, and cleanse the lepers, and raise the dead, 
and cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Every Christian ministry will be supernaturally charged by the Holy Spirit. But they should never charge. The purpose of the church is not to make money. It's to preach and heal and cleanse and resurrect and cast out demons. Not to charge for money. This is why we never charge for our CDs. You know, we hope that when you put them in, it will cast out demons and bring healing and all kinds of things but Jesus said freely you've received freely give we might try to cover our costs but we're not trying to make a profit sadly when you read this list heal the sick cleanse the lepers raise the dead cast out demons freely you've received freely give for some Christian ministries the greater miracle is that freely receive freely give He says, provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in their money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Jesus is telling us that we don't need to carry with us a lot of stuff when we go out to serve him. We should travel light and we should depend on Jesus to provide what we need. Rather than charge, a pastor should depend on the generosity of the people to whom he ministers. A worker is worthy of his food, Jesus says. You know, if a pastor is faithful to bring the bread of life, then a congregation will be faithful to provide his daily bread. Now, whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there till you go out. Now, don't be bouncing around once you get there looking for the best deal. I mean, you take a mission trip down to Mexico and you stay at the Gomez house the first night until you hear that the the Rodriguez's have a hot tub. And so you move over to their house for the next night and on and on it goes. Jesus is saying, hey, when you're on a mission for God, be content with whatever he provides. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Got a good picture. There you go, Greg. Hey, shaking the dust off your feet is a way of relinquishing responsibility. It's a sign that, hey, you're done with this. You're moving on. And Jesus is telling us, don't waste time on the person who doesn't want to listen. Just shake the dust off your feet and move on. There are plenty of people, guys, who do want to listen to our message. Who are desperate for our message. There are times when we need to be persistent, but there are other times when we just need to move on and not get bogged down. Verse 15. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. What a sober statement there. Those who reject our witness of Jesus will one day be judged by God. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now in the animal world, wolves are natural predators of sheep. A wolf likes nothing quite like his mutton. And the same is true in the spiritual realm. If you're one of God's sheep, you'll be despised. 
you will at times find yourself attacked for no reason. Why? Because this hatred for sheep is inbred in the wolf. I mean, there's no winning him over. There are spiritual wolves that like nothing more than to devour sheep. Thus Jesus says to us, Be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. If we're sheep among wolves, then we've got to watch out. We've got to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Every Christian should be harmless but heads up. Savvy but unthreatening. Now, now somebody told me one time that snakes are really quite dumb. Well, speak for yourself. I mean, to me, it would seem that snakes have a horrible disadvantage. No arms. No legs. They're crawling around on their bellies. They're always shedding their skin. You try to be a snake. See how good you do as a snake. But a snake, whether he's dumb or not, he ends up pretty smart because he finds a way to sort of hide. And he stays out of danger and he does a pretty good job of it. A Christian also needs to have this kind of street smarts. If we're gullible, we're not going to survive. We're sheep among wolves. And it also helps to be harmless. Hostility only draws more hostility. We learned that today at the hockey game. My son plays hockey. You know, you hit one of those 17-year-old kids and their tendency is just to want to kind of hit you back harder. Well, that's the way it is. Hostility draws more hostility. And Jesus is saying, hey, hey, be, be wise as serpents, but, but also be harmless as doves. You'll save yourself a lot of trouble. Now, don't be a coward, but you're harmless as a dove if you try to avoid unnecessary conflict. That's our strategy. Branch Rickey was the general manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers. And Branch Rickey broke baseball's color barrier when he signed Jackie Robinson as the first black major league player. Before he signed Jackie, Branch Rickey spent three hours with Jackie Robinson, describing for him the abuse and the threats, the cursings and the shoutings that he would receive. And then Branch Rickey turned and he said to Jackie, he said, I want a ball player with guts enough not to fight back. You will symbolize a crucial cause One incident, just one incident, can set it back 20 years. Jackie Robinson promised that there would be no incident. He played as smart as a serpent, but he was as harmless as a dove, and he won a great victory. Jesus has called you and I to use our heads to fight evil with good and hatred with love. Jesus says, but beware of men, for they will deliver you to the council's And scourge you in their synagogues. And you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake. As a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. His men should expect persecution. From both the religious and the civil authorities. In the synagogues and before the governors. And here's the reason God allows you and I to be persecuted. Notice this. Opposition produces opportunity. These disciples are going to be scourged and they're going to suffer for Jesus' sake. They're going to be hauled into the synagogues and hauled before the governors. But in the process of this, they're going to be given some amazing opportunities to preach the gospel of Jesus. 
When Paul went before the Roman governor of Palestine, he could have been set free. You remember what he did? He appealed his case to Caesar, for he wanted to preach to the emperor himself. And what happened? Paul was given an all-expense-paid trip to the capital of the world, courtesy of the Roman government. And the Roman government funded the mission trip. It was a scary proposition, but it was a marvelous opportunity. You see, to the disciples, their cause was more important than their comfort. What about us? Is this why we, we're not as powerful today as the church was in the first? Is it because our comfort has become more important than our cause? It was nothing for these men. They welcomed persecution because they knew it would give them an opportunity to declare a witness for Jesus. Are we willing to be opposed if it creates for us opportunities to speak and declare the truth? What's more important to us? Our relaxation or someone's salvation? Ought to think about. Now Jesus continues. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. And this is a tremendous comfort. You know, we should always be as prepared as possible to speak for God. But there are moments when preparation is impossible. And in those moments, the Holy Spirit will provide us supernatural help. He'll give us the words to say. He'll put just the right words in our mind at just the right time. The Holy Spirit promises to do that. He says, now brother will deliver up brother to death. And a father, his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to get to death. In other words, Persecution will become fierce and it will also cut across family lines so that families become at odds with each other because of the gospel. He says, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. You know, tradition tells us what eventually happened to these 12 disciples. Only one, the apostle John, died of natural causes. And that was only after the emperor Domitian tried to boil John in oil. God miraculously delivered him from it. Peter was crucified in Rome on an upside down cross because he said he was not worthy to be crucified as Jesus had been. James was beheaded in Jerusalem. Andrew was crucified in Greece on a cross that was in the shape of an X. Philip was hanged in Asia Minor. Bartholomew, or Nathaniel, was skinned alive and beheaded in Armenia. Matthew was slain with a sword in Ethiopia. Thomas was impaled with a lance while he was preaching the gospel in India. The other James was thrown from the Jewish temple and stoned to death. Thaddeus was shot with arrows in Mesopotamia. And Simon the Zealot was attacked by a mob near the Persian Gulf. Jesus tells them, When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of